This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. It's good to be with you this morning. We're dealing with Abraham and Isaac, and yesterday I talked about the symbolism behind Abraham. Today, I'm going to deal with I'm going to be I'm going to deal with with Abraham himself, just the man himself in this situation. Isaac is the obedient son. I think if you read in this story and you read clearly, Isaac does exactly what his father tells him to do. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus in in really every possible way. He's a picture of Jesus when later on we're going to see him get a bride. The Abraham's going to send an unnamed servant again, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, back to his home area, and they're going. he's going to pick out a bride for him, and that bride is going to be brought back by that unnamed for Isaac, and her name is Rebecca, and she's just a picture. It's just a straight-up picture of the Holy Spirit going and getting the church and bringing the church to Jesus as his bride. It is Isaac in every possible way is a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of the church. He's a, he's a picture of God's work uh, in humanity. He's a picture of Jesus in this for sure because he is obedient and completely obedient. And, and he doesn't waver one little bit in anything his father asked him to do. He is along for the journey. And he does exactly what he's told. And apparently he's a child of fairly, fairly advanced years because he's the one that carries the wood up the mountain to, for the burnt offering. You wouldn't do that with a six or seven year old. You'd have to, he'd have to be fairly old to do that. So in verse three, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Notice verse two, he, then he said, take now your son, God said, your only son, Isaac whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will, shall tell you. Notice verse 3. So Abraham rose early. Where's the arguing with God? Where's the uh, where's the bargaining with God? Where's the deciding with God exactly what you're going to do and uh, why you're going to do it? Where does that take place in here? It doesn't. And if you'll notice, it's not like Abraham's nature wasn't to ask God questions and try to inquire of God exactly what he wanted to do. It's not like that was not Abraham's nature when the angel of the Lord and two angels came with him to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham quizzed the angel of the Lord pretty clearly. and He just asked him questions. He was questioning why he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the angel of the Lord shows up and God says to him, take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And you know what? Abraham doesn't ask a single question. It doesn't, he doesn't even flinch. He just begins to make plan. He, he was just able to make plans to, to, uh, to go and do what God told him to do. Now, the reason for that is because this is the secret of the faith. Okay. This is the only way for me to explain it to you is this is the understanding 
that you have to have in order to walk life-changing, life-giving faith. And it's not, and when I say understanding, it's not just a empirical understanding that you have in your own mind. It's not just an idea that you have just because you're just because you're you've been taught it and you get it. It has to become a part of your very thought process, your very nature. And oftentimes we don't make this a part of our very thought process and our very nature. And we and because we don't do that, we don't have, I guess the way to say it is the depth of our faith is very limited because it is almost difficult for us to do this. Notice it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and he took, he saddled his donkey and he took the Holy Spirit, the picture of two young men and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood uh, for the burnt offering. And notice he's doing the work here. And he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. He had to walk for three days to get there. He had to walk for three days to get there. Abraham said, he had to consider this for three days. He said, Abraham uh, said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will be back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. I, it's hard for me to tell you how long exactly did Abraham, how long did Abraham actually speak going through um this time and knowing that he is going to take his son to the altar and he's not slowing down. He's not delaying anything. He is immediately going and doing what, what God told him to do. He said uh, he took the wood and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and the knife. He takes all the tools. He doesn't forget anything. So he can go back down the mountain and get it. He takes all that. And the two of them went together. And I, and Isaac even asked him, uh, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but there's no lamp for the burnt offering. And Abraham said, now here's, here's, here it is right here. My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Um, notice, God, he understands, he understands this, that first of all, God's sovereign over the universe. God gets to decide. He understands, too, that God is true to his promises and and that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And what God had promised him is that through his offspring, he would make a great nation and that nation would be a light to the world. And Isaac was was that offspring that was going to be a light to the world. And finally, he understands something that it is difficult for us because we want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to be in charge of how things operate and who we are. He understands this one principle that is at the very core of faith. And it is very core. See, we don't have a faith. We don't have a faith that's a forlorn hope that we're not sure about. We have a sure faith, a faith that we, we an, a faith that's the type of hope that we call anxious expectation. We have an anxiousness and an expectation that God has a, a certain power that is that is the trump card in every situation, that is the, the hope of the universe and the millennia's past and future. It is the power of God to raise the dead. It is the power of God over life and death. It's the power of God to author life and death. That is the understanding that we gain 
starting in Genesis chapter 1 and ending in Revelation chapter 22. We get this written throughout Scripture, that God is the author and sustainer of life, and life when it passes away or when it ends does not end with God. God has the power over death also. And so life for him is an eternal option. It exists It exists because of him himself and not because of anything else. And so understanding that God is the author of life, that the God is the author of how life is going to be and how it's going to continue out, understanding that God is the author of life, decides, gets to decide. He's the decider. He's the one who made it. He's the owner of it. Those that are given life possess it because of him, and they possess it at his pleasure and at his will. He says, "He says, I have numbered your days. He says this to, to the great patriarch Job. He says, I have numbered your days past which you cannot go. He, he is the one who decides when life begins. He said, I knew you before I knit you in your mother's womb. He is the starter and the initiator, and he is the ender of physical life. He is the source of eternal life, and he is the one who provides it and gives it, and no man conjures it up, and no man moves God by his own will to provide eternal life. He says that Jesus said, those whom the Father give me, I give them eternal life. Remember, give is a gift. It is requires, uh, in the legal terms, it requires intent. It requires acceptance. It requires deliverance. But the first thing that comes is not the acceptance. The first thing is the intent. It is God acting in his own will first. Now, once you have eternal life, you receive it and you begin to walk in it. And that's what we call salvation. That's what we call the process of sanctification. But the actual giving and the authoring of that life comes from God. And Abraham intrinsically understood this. He understood what was going on. The reason he questioned the angel of the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah is because he knew that God was ending that life permanently. He was going down there to Sodom and Gomorrah. He was going to pronounce judgment on those people, and those people would die, and those people would spend eternity in the second death, which is the spiritual death, separated from God and his goodness. And that's what concerned him about that. He wanted to know, would God kill the righteous with the unrighteous? Would God end the life of the righteous along with the unrighteous? And his concern was eternal life in that regard. But as far as Isaac is concerned, and as far as taking Isaac to the to the cross, to the well, to the cross, I'm using Isaac as a foreshadowing of Jesus because he is a foreshadowing of Jesus. When he takes Isaac to the cross, I mean to the to to the top of the mountain for the burnt offering, he understood this principle very well. He understood either one of two things was going to happen: either God was going to provide a sacrifice for Himself that was not His Son, okay, and he says that to Isaac, and it's comforting to Isaac because Isaac didn't see where the offering was, and he didn't understand. And obviously, Isaac's older because Isaac has done this. He understands the process, and he understands that you have to have someone or something to sacrifice, some something that has blood in it. The Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He understands that intrinsically. He understands that in who he is, okay? All right? So as he's going to the up there, Abraham understands either one of two things. 
either God is going to take, God is going to give him something to sacrifice, or if he does sacrifice his son and even burn him as a burnt offering to God, God is going to raise him from the dead. God has the power of resurrection. God has the power over life. God is the author of life and he has the power over life. And even if he were to die, <clears throat> he would be raised again. And we're not just talking about, and we're not just talking about the second death. We're talking about the first death. Jesus has that conversation with Martha right outside the tomb <clears throat> of Lazarus. And uh, what does he say? <clears throat> she says, she he says, I'm going to be able to, I'm, I have the power of life. And she says, I know you do. I know you. I know we're going to we're going to see your power in glory. We're going to see your power to raise the dead. And he says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And what he's saying is, I have the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. I have, the, I have resurrection power because life comes from me. And understanding that and bringing that idea to the table of life for yourself. What I mean by that? What I mean by that is that understanding, that principle of what God is and who God is needs to become innate in who you are. It needs to become the actual functioning idea that governs every decision that you make, that God is sovereignly the author of all life and his purposes and his will play out in every situation and that he's intimately involved in every life situation, and that I trust him in every situation, that he is working out his will and his way, which are the best, are the best, okay? His will and his way every day in every situation that I see and hear and find, and that I have an expectation that he's going to bring about miraculous power, miraculous goodness, miraculous grace, miraculous hope, in every situation that goes on around me, and that I am there to do a couple of things. I am there to join him in those things because he is gracious and good to me and loves his children and wants them to see him at work in the world he lives in, that I am there to see it and be a, and be a witness to it so that I might glorify his name, and that I am there uh, ultimately to engage my faith in that situation so that I trust him for everything and for all things, so that my life might be on a path of total faith in him. Those are the reasons why I'm in every situation that I'm in, that I see every situation that I see. You say, what about my sin? Your sin is evidence that God's holy and that God can overcome sin and death. What about the troubles of my family and my friends? The troubles of your family and your friends are only momentary, and therefore the purpose of edification if they're born again, and they're for the purpose of God's holiness if they're not, if they're not going to be uh, redeemed or atoned for by Jesus Christ and his blood. They are, they, every situation glorifies God, and every situation God is intimately involved with and knows way farther, more, far more than you could ever imagine in every situation of life. He is involved in all of them every day, in every way, and he knows more than you do about everything, including yourself. Even God, he says, even in the New Testament, God tells us he searches our hearts and our thoughts. He knows our heart and our thoughts even better than we do. He knows the circumstances of every situation of life far better, better than we do. He is ultimately, completely, totally 
in control. And the reason people struggle in their faith is they refuse to give over to that truth, to that understanding. Abraham was told to take his son to a place a long way away, at least a three-day journey, maybe farther, because it doesn't tell us. He says he could see the mountains in three days. Doesn't mean that he got there in three days. And he carried his son along with two servants that far without a sacrifice other than his son, knowing that God said, take his son and offer him as a burnt offering. So he didn't bring a second plan with him. He knew that God would either provide for him a second plan or he would raise his son from the dead because his son was the son of promise. And so God had to bring about, he'd already told him many times, his son was the son of promise there, would have a child in in her old age. He was the son of promise. So God was going to have to bring about his offspring through Isaac. And he understood that. And so he had to know, he had to know this, that if he sacrificed his son Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Had to know it. There's no way, no, there's really not any, there's really not any other explanation for it. He's not a psychopath, and he's quite clearly a great man who understands and sees things in ways that that you can't even you can't even imagine. He says, I know who he is. That's why he's in the roll call of faith and faith in Hebrews chapter eleven. In fact, he gets one of the primary roles, in fact, probably the primary role in the roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He understood that God had the power over life and death and that everything that went on in his life was under the authority of God and that ultimately, even though he didn't totally understand everything, even though he asked God and questioned God about certain things, he understood that God handled all those things and He gave God credit for it. He goes up to the mountain and what does he do? He says, and Abraham stretched out, verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He understood if I kill him and I even burn him up and offer him as a sacrifice, God will raise him from the dead out of the ashes. He says, he says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. This is Jesus calling him to heaven. Abraham, Abraham. So notice. For the third time in this passage, he says, here I am. I am listening to you, God. I am listening to you. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, that you have begun and have walked through wisdom. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What he's saying is, I know you trust me because you haven't withheld anything from me. He says, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to his, to this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall provide. And uh, and that word is Yahweh. And God does provide. God always provides. That's why we don't live without hope. We have a living hope. We have a anxious expectation of who God is. And uh, we anxiously expect him to be God in every situation. 
no matter how dire or no matter how confusing it may be to our futile and limited minds, we trust God. That's why we do it. Now, being able to do that in every situation is not easy. I'm not telling you it is, but I'm telling you that if you want to see God in his fullness and his reality, you must have an expectation that he is going to do big things, that he has the power over everything. He has the power over the things that you fear the most. Most He has the power over the things that you hope in the most. He has the power over the things that you love the most. He has the power of the things that you, you worry about the most. He has total control over everything, and he is working out his will and his purposes for you. That is what faith's about. It's not about it's not about hoping in some rolling of the dice that the numbers come up right for you. That's not how it works. Faith is a anxious expectation hope. It's a trusting of God because you understand and know his nature. It's a belief in what God has said and what God has shown us through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a belief in his son. Remember, what does God require? What does the works God requires to believe on the one he sent? What does the one he sent represent at his core the very most? Jesus represents the power of God over death. And because he submitted himself to death, raised himself from the dead, God has given him the name above every name. That, that, all those things come together in understanding that God is a resurrection power God. He's a God who, who has the power, the resurrection power over death. Death does not control God. Death is that which God controls himself. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.